mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello and welcome back to Kind of Cute. And if you are new here, welcome. My name's Bailey Evan. I'm your host. And on Kind of Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. I always want you guys to be able to come to this podcast and feel uplifted and like it's a fun place to come listen. But I would be remorse if I did not mention the brutal killing of George Floyd this week. Fortunately, the officer who killed him was just charged with murder and manslaughter. I would urge everyone to check out minnesotafreedomfund.com. It's a great way to support the protesters who are being jailed because it is working to end the cash bail system in Minnesota and across the U.S. Or or also uh, text FLOYD to 55156 to sign a petition demanding justice. This will bring you to Color of Change where you can sign the petition. It literally takes two seconds. And I apologize for a sharp segue into the fluffiness that is the rest of this episode. But again, I hope we can all take at least some sort of action to right the wrongs that have been occurring and unfortunately will probably keep occurring in this country. Again, sorry, sharp pivot, guys, but we're going right into some fun stuff. And that is that Taylor Swift tweeted the following, and I quote, very stoked about this cover of Look What You Made Me Do on At Killing Eve by Jack Leopards and the Dolphin Club. Now, Taylor Swift fans are a different breed. I've said it before, but there is no better researcher, detective than a fangirl. And I say that with love and respect because I am a fangirl myself. But these people, they will uncover a mystery like no other. So I got some info from Glamour because I thought they did a good job breaking this down. And it says that Swift stands went down a Twitter rabbit hole when they learned the song was credited to Jack Leopards and the Dolphin Club, a group with no other music history, which seemingly materialized out of thin air. They concluded that Swift, her brother Austin, and Jack Antonoff were behind the track as a way to outsmart the music industry and get past Scooter Braun's rights to her masters, i.e. most of her music pre-lover. And I have to say, this still hasn't been confirmed, but it is without a doubt Austin Swift, Taylor Swift, and Jack Antonoff who did this track. It's Austin Swift singing it. I'm sure it was produced by Jack. Neil Solberg was a pseudonym that Taylor Swift used in the past when she did Calvin Harris's song and she was very open about the fact that that non-diplume was connected to her and that is also listed on the track to the song so just a little interesting thing I'm not really sure how this gets around the loopholes of Scooter Braun owning the rights to her masters I mean it gets around in the fact that you can do a cover and sort of there's legal gray area there but it doesn't mean that she can now go record it in the way she wants to exactly the same. But maybe it's just her hint to the world that that is still what she plans on doing because she's obviously said it is her plan to re-record her music. And I do think that is within her legal means, but it's so crazy because I don't think that's something we've really seen before in the past. So I think this is maybe her kind of like entry level into doing that. And I have to say about the song itself, it is a beautiful song. I think Austin has a nice voice. It's very kind of folksy, but it's a little slow for my liking, but it does fit the vibes of Killing Eve very nicely. I don't like your little game. Don't 
like your stage. And I don't know if we talked about how obsessed I am with Killing Eve. I'm actually about two weeks behind right now, so I'm not all the way caught up. But I would love to talk with you guys about Killing Eve. I love Villanelle's outfits. Oh, her fashion, that alone, it just, I could watch it for that. Uh, next up, I wanted to touch on the meaning of simping. Have you guys heard this term yet? It's S-I-M-P-I-N-G, simping, or like calling someone a simp. And I have been seeing this term pop up everywhere. It's all over TikTok. Caroline Calloway uses it to describe her OnlyFans fans. And I usually feel like I know what's going on. I know the Gen Z terms, but this one was very elusive to me. I couldn't figure out by context what it really meant. So I looked up a men's health article and I thought I would clue you guys in too because we all want to be up on the Gen Z lingo, right? At least I do. And men's health wrote that according to the top definition on Urban Dictionary, a simp is a man that puts himself in a subservient, submissive position under women in hopes of winning them over without the female bringing anything to the table. Apparently, this definition was posted in 2012, so the term's been around a while, but through TikTok, it's really regained its popularity. And apparently, again, allegedly, you know how it works with slang, this was an acronym for Sucka's Idolizing Mediocre Pussy. And that's disgusting. And I think, really, it should be Sucka's Idolizing Mediocre Penis, but... That's neither here or there, I guess. Also, I'm sorry that both intros, like last week I was talking about vag and this week I'm talking about vag. Unintentional, maybe not every week, but you know, power to the vagina. So this is the definition I got from Reddit. Simps is a negative way of referring to men who do something considered to be desperate or pathetic to seek the attention of a woman. It's frequently used to describe men who pay women, either on Twitch streams, campsites, etc., or to describe men who get trapped into a relationship. Unsurprisingly, from a quick search on Reddit, it appears to be pretty often used by incel and anti-woman groups, although it's used often in neutral places as well. And I'm sorry, I think that was actually that last line I read was what Men's Health wrote about it. And my theory is that it has sort of changed. It's not the same simp meaning it had back in 2012. And not exactly having as harsh of a meaning as men's health was giving it to. I think it has a much more playful meaning now. But I do appreciate men's health for calling out the inherent misogyny of the term and its its genesis. But yeah, like I said, I think I've just seen it used way more playfully on TikTok. And maybe that's not a good thing. But I think maybe its power of like what it was originally used for is not where it used to be. So do you have thoughts on simps? Let me know. Unfortunately, the space launch that was supposed to happen on Thursday was postponed for weather. And I'm not sure if I've mentioned on here before, but the space program has a place close to my heart because I am from Countdown County, baby. I'm from Satellite Beach. It's the same county as Cape Canaveral. My area code is 321. Blast off. And... Also, on that note, I really need to own a NASA sweatshirt. My sister, I feel like everyone in my family has NASA stuff. Our grandpa actually used to work there. And I don't have any NASA paraphernalia. Every, like, field trip I took as a child in elementary school was to the Kennedy Space Center. And I just feel like such a fraud. Anyways, back to the launch that was supposed to happen. 
it was a pretty legit launch. I mean, they all are, but this one was in particular, it stood out because it was the first time in nine years that America was sending people to the International Space Station. And I also loved this story because it was two astronauts that were scheduled to go and their names are Bob and Doug and they are best buds. And I think that's so heartwarming and cute. And I'm excited for the launch to hopefully happen. When is it rescheduled to, Kenzie? Like this coming up week? I think so, but I'm not. Yeah, so hopefully sending them well wishes. I hope it goes really well. I saw my family last weekend begrudgingly. I had seen my immediate family during quarantine, but then my grandparents, it was my grandpa's birthday, so they insisted that we go over there, that we would just stay six feet apart. So every, we were so, we're just so scared for them. Like our grandparents are healthy and like great and love them, but we were just so nervous to be around them. But they, that's like all my grandpa wanted for his birthday. No, actually it was all my grandma wanted for my grandpa's birthday. Let's be real. I don't really think my grandpa gave a shit. He loves us, but I think he was perfectly fine eating his ribs on his own anyways so we go over and unbeknownst to us my aunt and uncle were also there and their kids so yeah not great in the whole like trying not to be around a lot of people realm but I have to also interject to say it's really weird in Florida right now because so many people are going back to normalcy because our restaurants are open pretty much everything is open now our gyms are open but Kenzie and I have very much still trying to be kind of isolated I haven't seen my friends yet I might actually see them tomorrow at my house and again we're going to try to keep separate but it's just such a weird thing to navigate because you're you don't know what you're supposed to do and what is wrong and what is morally okay to do because the last thing I want to be doing is spreading anything around anyways I'm getting so sidetracked when I was seeing all of my family my uncle was asking about my podcast and I was telling him about it and I was like you know, you guys should listen, like feel free, but make sure you don't listen with your little kids around. It's definitely not, you know, kid friendly. So I get a text uh, from him saying, we really love your podcast. We think you have a great radio voice, but we had to turn it off because you were talking about slashings and vaginas and the kids were in the car. And I was like, okay, like, yeah, I mean, it's not kid friendly. Like I didn't say, yeah, I already told you it wasn't kid friendly, but Guys, if you're listening, Mike and Marie, love you guys, but it's not kid-friendly. What do you want me to do? (laughs) Anyways, um, and on to another non-kid-friendly segment. I wanted to give you guys the update on the Call Her Daddy drama. We talked about it last week. We really dove in. And it was sad because literally the night I posted last week's episode a few hours later Alex Cooper gave her side of the story on her YouTube she released like a 30 minute video where she explained everything and I thought a lot of her reasoning was actually pretty in line with what Dave Portnoy said on his individual episode and then at the end of it she's like see you on Wednesday fuckers and of course the first solo episode with her was released this past week and the logos changed it's just Alex on it now and I, I wanted to correct myself actually from last week because I think I said they were both like 23, but Alex is 25 and Sophia is 27. But I still think they, they were very young when they started it. Like it was started in 2018 when they were 23 and 25-ish. So I just wanted to correct that again. I hate getting facts wrong on here. And I thought she did a great job on her first solo episode. And she talked about how... They were very conscious when they were doing their episodes that they were so wary of being on brand and not showing their business side. And Alex was saying how she's really excited to show more of her business side, which she's already done through her YouTube video in her first episode. But I'm excited of seeing it 
go kind of in a different direction like sex sells but I think they've now just made a fan base that they can go beyond that and not just stick to what they've been doing the whole time she talks a little bit about forcing segments when she didn't have content for it and how that's something she wants to avoid in the future and I think you could kind of sense that when you were listening to ones where it was just like they didn't really want to be talking about sex, but they felt like they had to. And I think maybe there will be some freedom that comes along with this rebranding and her doing it solo. My favorite part of the whole thing is when she calls out men and she says men are trying to come in and finesse their way and to call her daddy. Suit man agents at WME trying to adjust her contract and even Scooter Braun people wanting a piece of the pie but not knowing anything about the brand and she really just takes issue with that and it it has so many parallels to what we've seen happen with Taylor Swift a woman creating something that's so powerful it makes so much money and men just wanting to come in and get a piece of the pie so I thought it was cool she called that out because it's it's kind of a tenuous situation where she is with the call her daddy I'm sorry, she's with the Barstool's network and she's with David Portnoy and they're the ones who ultimately are paying her. So I just sympathize with her with having to go against the network that's paying her bills. And I'm glad that she doesn't have fear attached to that and is still willing to speak her mind. And honestly, I'm glad that Barstool Sports is letting her do that. And the other thing I thought was intriguing was she wants to have daddy gang. That's what they call their fans. She wants to have daddy gang members on the podcast each week so they can talk about their issues they're having and just make it a little bit more personal and connected. And then she also apologized for the Kesha song and made no excuses for it, which I appreciated because that was something that was definitely really iffy and I didn't agree with. But I thought it was cool that she just apologized for it didn't try to backtrack on it apologize for acting like they were so poor when they were making 500k but in her defense i i just have to say i I really do think they were underpaid at the time and they were having to listen to all these bros talk about how they were getting the shaft like and not getting paid what they deserved so i don't blame them for kind of sending subliminal messages to barstool and being pissed about it so that's my thoughts on that i think she's gonna kill it solo I think Sophia, my prediction is that Sophia will start her own podcast. It might also be on Barstool, but I could see her not wanting to align herself any further with that brand. I bet she will get signed by Wondery or Podcast One and do it with them. But if I was Sophia, I would just do my own thing. She doesn't need a network. She should just be making her own episodes, having her own intellectual property and doing her own shit. Like she does not need to be signing with another network who's going to try to lord over her so Sophia if you ever hear this girl do your own thing next up I don't want this to turn like a labor of love recap show and I don't know if this is going to be a weekly thing but I was so into recapping a little bit of episode one and episode two came out last night and I just felt like I could not cover it she seems to have it all except one thing a partner to start a family For Christy, the labor is mandatory, the love is optional. So one of the contestants, his name is Budge Collinson, he actually part-time lives in West Palm. He lives in Maryland for half of the year and West Palm for the other half of the year. I live in West Palm, if you guys are new around here, and it's crazy because he says he was on a dating app and that's how one of the casting directors reached out to him and found him. And basically they just asked him if he was actually single, which is hilarious because he's on a dating app, but that shows how many sketchos are on there. And he agreed to be on the show. So on episode two, they're doing camping all together as a group. And 
they planted a person in a bear costume to scare the men and see how manly they will be. They don't say it's to see how manly they will be, but that was my take. But before they do this, they have some Ranger Joe, Jim, I don't know. He looked like a fake ass actor to me. He comes in, he gives them this big spiel about how to avoid bears. And it's so corny and fake. And the fact that any of them didn't see through it blows my mind. And Budge, who I just said was from West Palm, he says he's not doing this bullshit and he's out. But he ends up staying, I guess. Like, they don't really address it. Like, he just stays. But he full-on looks like he's about to walk off the campsite, leave, never come back again. And then she's talking to them, you know, in the in the campsite. They're around a fire. She talks to them one-on-one. And there's this one dude who is like, I only want two sons. Just two sons, nothing else. And this was his kiss of death. Like, he ends up going home. Christy comes from a family of three girls. And as someone who's a family of three girls and whose dad pretty much just made them have another so they could finally have a son, I get why she's offended by this. Daughters are amazing. You don't need a son to, like, continue on your line or whatever patriarchal bullshit that is. So I was glad Christy sent his ass packing. And then another guy starts talking shit about every single other guy there. I mean, has this guy seen the bachelorette yet? That is what you don't do. But somehow he stays. I don't understand how that happened. But something cool that Labor of Love has done that I haven't seen on other shows is they have all of the contestants' families do those like talking head interviews and they comment on their family members and it ends up being just a lot of hilarious commentary and it's really my favorite thing about the show. And them talking always leads to a lot of talk about biological man clocks. I guess the producers are really pushing that. And it's kind of cringe but I'm glad that we aren't just talking about women having ticking eggs and acting like we are just about to like be past our expiration date so I appreciate it for that and a holy shit moment of this episode is that we learned that Christy was part of the terrorist attacks in Nice and by part of I mean she was there she didn't lead the terrorist attacks in case that wasn't clear she was just one of the people affected by it and and I'm sorry, the one where the truck came through the audience. And that's just so sobering and, and insane that she was actually there for that. But then she goes on two actual solo dates. And one of them is at a basketball game. And they have jerseys set. They're in one of the like VIP suites. And they have the food all laid out on the table. And there's jerseys on the table. And one of them says future mom and the other one says future dad like on the back of the jersey and the show does not comment on these or focus on these jerseys but to me this was the most hilarious part of the episode and gave me a good chuckle I'll tell you that so the one that the guy she's on the date with during the basketball game his name is Marcus and y'all know I love Survivor so I'm kind of rooting for this contestant Marcus because he was on Survivor and he's also a doctor but never mind that he was on Survivor hello so maybe he's a serial reality person but then I looked it up and apparently he was recruited for both shows which is wild because so many people apply to be on Survivor and it's such like a coveted reality TV spot so I thought that was crazy that he got recruited for both and he said he also got recruited via dating app so I think this really could be the way of the future and I think it's actually a way better way to get I hate to say people for the right reasons but people for the right reasons to be on these shows I think people who aren't seeking out a place on reality television and who are on a date dating app i mean right off the bat it shows that they are looking probably for a relationship 
or a quick bang, but you know, let's say relationship. So I think it's a great way for casting directors to utilize this. Brilliant. I hope this is the way things go in the future. So you're not just getting people who want to be Instagram people. No shame though. I would love to be an Instagram hoe. I've said it before. I'll say it again. That was my longest intro of all time, guys. I'm sorry. I had a lot of shit I wanted to talk today. But we're getting into our first cut article of the day by our girl Sanjita. I think about this photo of Prince William with hair a lot. So she writes that the first time she saw a photo of Prince William with hair, she had no idea it was Prince William with hair. She was on Slack. She was talking with her coworkers. And then someone drops a picture of a rakish young blonde man into the channel with no context. She considered it for a moment, and she sees the man's good-looking. His cheeks were flush, fresh pink, his jaw chiseled and square. A thatch of thick, flaxen hair swept over his head, ending in a golden cowlick that curled, curled above his brow. It was remarkable hair, shot through with pale lemon and ochre, the kind of hair that brings to mind fairy tales about tresses of hand-spun gold. And then it hit her. This golden-haired man was Prince William back in 2001, before he was just Kate Middleton's husband and the less cool brother to Prince Harry. The revelation set in motion a kind of slow-burning astonishment that I suppose never really ended, given that it's something several years later I still think about. And then she goes on to explain that she's grown up around tons of royal paraphernalia because her parents are actually from Manchester, which I didn't know about Sanjita. And they had a Kate and Will wedding plate, which is hilarious because I remember when the Kate and Will wedding was happening. A, I basically woke up at 4 a.m. to be able to watch it. No, I didn't wake up. I was pulling an all-nighter for an anthropology exam I had. So I just stayed up and I went like stumbled down and watched it actually i went to my sorority house sorry guys i've been taking you guys on a lot of like memory lane insular shit into my life this episode but anyways she had the kate and will wedding plate so she really only knew will as more of his adult self and she likens the feeling to seeing him like this like his hot younger self like to seeing pictures of her grandmother when she was young and realizing that her grandmother had lived a whole other life, decades of life, before she was Sanjita's grandma. And she felt the same shock when looking at a young Prince William, who had once been a guy that tabloids describe it as hunky and who Claudia Schiffer looked at as if he was dinner. And y'all, I looked at this picture because thankfully Sanjita linked it. And it's the same way every single person looks at Harry Styles. And by every single person, I mean every single person in the world, not every person who is single and not taken. It's a very unique mixture of hunger and delight that you can't quite bottle, but you know it when you see it. Okay, just look up the picture of Claudia and Prince, well, and you'll see. You'll see what I mean. And she touches on how Megan and Kate are expected to be ageless, but Willie can just bald into oblivion, and those are not her words, those are mine. But that is the sort of double standard that is BS. It is. It's such BS. And honestly, looking at old pictures of Will is sort of like watching a movie with JTT in his prime. It just feels right. So I totally support doing this. Take a little trip down memory lane. Look at people in their prime. Hugh Grant at Cambridge. Ooh, that is some good content. Next up, another Sanjita article. Of course, I have to interject here to say that I actually emailed Sanjita, and maybe now I'm ruining any chances of her actually being on this podcast, but I emailed her and asked her to be my first like official guest, and I haven't heard back, and it would be a lie to say I, I'm not a little bit hurt, 
I thought maybe she would just give me, you know, a little perfunctory no, give me something. I haven't got that yet. I'm holding out hope. I'm waiting. I sent it almost a week ago, so I'm I'm like, is it too aggressive to send a follow-up email? Especially with my new that new Gmail feature. It's like, they haven't responded, and it's been six days. Do you want to follow up? I'm like, wow, Gmail, make me feel like a loser. <laughs> but I'm about to follow up. Sanjita, if you happen to listen to this, like, I love your writing. I love you. I don't know you, but I love you. And I want you to be on here so badly. I think we could just really have a moment. Anyways, <laughs> she wrote this article, What Exactly is a TikTok Cold? And I actually read the New York Times article about this before I saw that Sanjita had covered it. And I read the whole New York Times article, and I would say it's pretty rare for me to read an entire article and feel more confused than I was when I started. But that's how I felt after reading that one. So I'm just going to read you what Sanjita wrote. And I don't know if I'm going to have a lot of commentary on this because I am truly at a loss for words. Again, I just wanted to educate you guys, let you be in on the Gen Z culture, be able to drop something on the office slack. So that's what I'm here for. According to the Times, Sep Chickens is TikTok's largest cult, whose subject is 27-year-old Melissa Ong, a content creator. She gained popularity with a viral video, and as she gathered followers, she asked them to change their photos to match hers. In a few weeks, she'd gained millions of followers and has gone on to record a Sep Chickens song, start a merch shop, create a YouTube channel, and is taking steps towards monetization. Her ultimate goal is to have her own comedy show. The Times spoke with a few of Ong's fans who said that being in Step Chickens helped them feel less isolated during lockdown. Okay, I lied. I do have to comment on this a little bit. The picture that everyone's changing their profile to is a picture of Miss Melissa in this kind of blue lighting. It's an under the chin pic, which is never super flattering. And it's just her with kind of like a weird expression on her face. And that's it. It looks like something if you're holding a phone under the chin of someone gaming. Like in the the light of the computer screen was reflecting back on them. That's really the best way I can describe it. And I'm just flabbergasted. I, I wish I knew this sort of viral witchcraft and that I could emulate it. It says she's taking steps towards monetization. Honey, Sanjita, I love you, girl, but if she's already done all this stuff and had the merch shop, I think she's already monetized the hell out of it. I'm sure she's raking in the moolah. So props to her, like, because she clearly has it figured out. I don't know how she did it, but, but slow clap for her. Next up, Popular mommy vlogger admits she rehomed her adopted son by Amanda Arnold. Now, guys, I actually had four cut articles to talk about. And the other one was about these musicians who are trapped in a haunted mansion and they can't leave. It's in it's in Germany. They can't leave because of Corona. And that would be way more fun for me to talk about. But instead, I apparently want to talk about this shit even though it's disgusting. And I don't know why I want to end on a sad, disturbing note today, but here we go. And I saw this art story last week before the uh, the cut article came out, and I was just dumbfounded. 
So this article writes that over the past few months, fans of YouTube influencer Micah Stouffer started to suspect something was afoot with the popular mommy vlogger. For years, Micah's channels had included regular posts about Huxley, the two-and-a-half-year-old child she and her husband adopted from China, in which she shared intimate details about his autism diagnosis, often in sponsored posts. <clears throat> Ew. But this past February, the toddler, now four years old, disappeared from her channel. On Mother's Day, Micah wrote that the holiday had been the hardest she's ever had. In response, fans grew increasingly worried about Huxley's absence. This week, in a vlog titled An Update on Our Family, a tearful Micah and her husband James revealed that they recently rehomed Huxley out of concern for his well-being. Y'all, this is so disgusting on so many levels. First of all, Huxley was adopted in 2017. Like I said, when he was two and a half and now he's four. So he's been with them for years. I would think he's at least formed some kind of attachment. Now, luckily, I personally don't have any memories before four years old. And I don't think a lot of people do. So I'm hoping that he just like won't remember anything of this part of his life. But my heart breaks for him. And... I'm all for children being in a home that can give them the best life possible. And it seems like clearly if this family did not care enough about his special needs to work with it and give him a loving home, maybe it was for the best for him to be with someone else. But this family has tons of other kids and they make, they're clearly pretty well off. They're popular influencers. On top of that, they exploited this adoption on multiple YouTube videos, and they specifically sought out a child with special needs. It's not like this was some surprise to him, them. And not that that would make it any better, but I'm just saying like they knew what they were getting themselves into. They sought out a child with special needs, and in my opinion, they did that to garner sympathy, to garner more YouTube views, and it's just so repulsive and the fact that they said that he was rehomed like a fucking dog y'all i mm, i just hope that people stop like again i've talked before i am not into cancel culture i think there's so many things that are wrong with cancel culture but this might be the one instance where i'm like i hope people kind of stop consuming their stuff because this just this ain't it all right, on to a lighter note. We have our legit shit for today. I have two for you guys. First up, I'm a candle obsessive. I've talked about on here how I apparently like to burn my money and burn expensive candles. It's not responsible at all. I don't love it for myself, but it's what I do. And if you don't own a wick trimmer yet, you need to get yourself a wick trimmer. I actually have one from Byredo. I have another one that I'm not sure where it's from. I have a few. But I'm linking one from CB2. Sorry, I'm doing two CB2 legit shits in a row. But I think there's this very cute, minimal. It's gold. I like it. It's only about, I think it's $12.95. And then, so just get one because it's, it, you need to cut your wick down when it gets too burnt because otherwise you'll get that really huge flame and your candle won't burn as well. Next up is Chili Crisp. I am obsessed with this Asian market in town, and I say Asian not to generalize, but literally because it has Korean, Japanese, Chinese. They have this Chinese chili crisp, and try to just get it from your local market if they have it. I just linked the Amazon so you could see the specific one I have. Guys, it is so delicious. I'm not a spicy person, but you put this with rice, some kewpie mayo, which is Japanese mayo, 
also get that if you can and like some dumpling sauce and some toppings holy shit it's so good it will change your life and i think this was such a long episode so i will see you guys next week bye